should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to this awesome Tuesday, and I call it an awesome Tuesday because I generally like Tuesdays when John Zipper of the Commonwealth Club is here with us. So, John, thanks so much for being here. Hi, Michelle. Hello, everybody out there in Meowland. It was raining, you know, last week, and so this week the sun is out. I think that's done something to my mood despite how awful I feel every day. <laughs> the sun perks you up? I think so. I mean, the sun usually perks people up, I think, um, for the most part, that or alcohol temporarily. <laughs> uh, you choose your vice. Uh, for me, that's what it's been. But then I realize um, <laughs> once it wears off and reality sets in, I, I, it, it's worse. So I've got to do something else. So I was thinking I could replace alcohol with rom-com movies that make me feel good about myself. It's probably a much healthier alternative. Right, except I would just be laying there watching Netflix all day, Well, okay. but still healthier than alcohol. Sure. <laughs> you might want to move in some other things as well. Exactly. Um, I'm bringing up all this depression only because I know that most of us might, you know, we're, we're all just affected. I was just thinking about this. Every time you turn on the news, it's like, who are they going after now? And it's not even like who anymore. It's like you can include what they're going after, the environment. Um, you know, that includes like innocent trees. Um, <laughs> well, okay, to be the fair, birds, the, the trees bees. did not vote for him, so he, right. he owes them nothing. That is so, no, that's so mean. <laughs> anyway, it's all about trying to navigate through Donald Trump's America at the first half of this show. So let's get today's program started. Today's show is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Our special, I'm sorry, our special guest today is Will Draybold. He is a policy writer at Mike. He writes Navigating Trump's America, which is Mike's daily read on Donald Trump's America. And he's based in Washington, D.C. So, Will, thanks so much for calling in from D.C. Yeah, thanks for having me, Michelle. All right. Um, you don't have to answer that, but before we get into the real stuff, I mean, do you have a vice right now <laughs> for yourself? <laughs> uh, this is going to sound cheesy, but sunshine. It finally came out here in Washington, and we've had, like, the weirdest weather. And so it's been, it's been, nice, to, um, <laughs> it's been nice to enjoy um, some warm, pleasant days in the midst of, as you were describing, just an incredibly tumultuous uh, couple months here, especially in the nation's capital. Yeah. I don't even know where to start with you. I mean, I've been reading a ton of your articles, and uh, you do a great job covering uh, all of it, which I don't, it's a miracle, because there's, <laughs> there's so much. 
So I'm going to toss to John to see where you want to go. It's almost like like I, I talked about last week where we're just reaching our hand into this glass ball of floating, um, you know, tiny golf balls. And on each of those tiny golf balls are issues that we want to talk about in terms of navigating Trump's America. So you choose, John. Well, sure. Well, let's let's start with kind of the the the, the big obvious one, which is, like you said, we're about two and a half months into Trump's administration. What are your at this point? What are your main impressions about him and his administration, and and you know how they're going about the do trying to do the job they're supposed to do? Yeah, well, that's a great that is a great place to start. And as uh, the analogy Michelle used, there's there's lots of different little angles within that. I mean, to hit on two themes, I think there's two narratives, both of which are true to some extent. One is that there's incredible dysfunction. There's um, just an incredible lack of direction and infighting. Um, these are not things that Sean Spicer would say are happening, obviously, but, but there's a lot of proof that they're there. Um, whether it's reports in the media or it's some of the things you see, um, like the way health care reform kind of broke down, right, and then just kind of went up in flames because of the different factions and the inability to please the different flanks of the Republican Party, that was clearly not rolled out well. It was not put together well, not thought through how everybody, all the different stakeholders, were going to respond to that. And you kind of got a classic political collapse out of that, right? So right. that's, you know, one side of things. However, while the president does not have, you know, a bunch of legislative accomplishments to tout as we move into the second half really close to the end of his first hundred days, you also have to keep in mind that today he is rolling back some of Barack Obama's signature environmental and, and climate regulations, right? He's already gone after those. He's already gone after the Affordable Health Care Act uh, through executive order. Obviously, he's tried not once but twice on immigration and the travel ban, and I think you can kind of expect him to keep hammering that home. Um, and even as uh, the Russia story, which is a whole kind of other area, continues to kind of be a drip, drip and, um, you know, swirl around his White House, um, you know, the media writes the same story almost every week about how that's affecting him, bringing him down here and there. Yeah. They really continue to trudge through. And um, I think, honestly, one of the most fascinating stories for me over the last two months was uh, what ProPublica first reported a couple weeks ago about the people that had been placed by the Trump administration at all the different federal agencies mm -hmm. um, to basically be his watchdogs there and to be the eyes and ears of the White House there, even if there weren't yet Senate-confirmed um, leaders of those agencies or deputy leaders of those agencies. So I think that's really illustrative of, yes, maybe they're having trouble convincing Republicans in Congress to pass their agenda, and that's the thing we're all focusing on. But I don't think anyone should think that, like, the Trump administration isn't doing things. So the Trump administration isn't being effective. I think in in many ways they're they're being very effective. Well, and I, I do want to get into the the Russia thing because we're obviously going to be talking about that for quite some time. But just to finish off this part, do you think the problems they've had in getting anything through Congress or to even control their own uh, you know public message? Um, do you think that's primarily? dysfunction within the the white house team or are they having trouble with the you know democrats and activists is are, is the opposition playing any role in their problems or is it all internal 
That's a, okay. That's a yeah. That's a great question. Um, I would say on healthcare specifically, yeah. you had a lot of Democrats claiming that the phone calls and emails that were coming into you know senators and congressmen's office were making a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to say that didn't factor in, but I don't think you can make a good case that you know the American Health Care Act or the HCA that, that this went down because of Democrats or the resistance or grassroots opposition, whatever you want to call it. Um, I do think it's, I do think that uh, most people would say it's attributable more to infighting. And again, like a, a real pull between different factions in the Republican party. And, you know, with people like Steve Bannon versus um, other people who might be more traditional um, GOP economic thinkers, and we're going to see this play out on trade and tax reform coming up now in the next couple months. That's, I think, the war and the battle internally that is going to make or break things more than phone calls from you know Democratic constituents to Republicans. Just, just, just quite frankly, right? I mean, I don't right. want to dismiss that grassroots opposition, but I also don't think that the Freedom Caucus was going to move one way or the other based on that, right? Right. So, Will, I don't want to reduce this down to a reality show, <laughs> um, but it sounds like, you know, the real housewives of, of somewhere, of D.C., the White House uh, of some sort. And so if all this drama is playing out and all of these issues are taking away from the real work, I mean, you take, for example, the fallout from the, the, the health care stuff. I mean, what work is actually being done? I mean, I, I get it that you mentioned some something's being done, and, and all of it sounds damaging. Uh, but if you're going to repeal some of the work that President Obama has done, which is, hasn't been all bad, or a lot of it has been good for the country, what are you replacing it, replacing it with? And, uh, and if you don't have an idea and you're all focused on this drama, I mean, where is this country headed? I, I think that that is an overall question of where do you think the focus is going to be next, especially following up on your article after the fallout of the health care plan? It suggested that they're they're going to look to reforming taxes. Yeah, so so I think that's a two-part answer. I mean, the first element of that is you, you almost have to shift your brain and the way you think, I think, um, from, say, a, a more progressive point of view, which is, kind of the language you were just using. We want to get things done. We want there to be progress, change. We want to move things forward, right? Which is different than the deconstruction of the American administrative state, which is what Bannon said a few weeks ago. And so progress to Donald Trump or to Steve Bannon or to Paul Ryan or to Republicans is actually what you just said. It's getting rid of these things and not putting things in their place. It's getting rid of regulations and not replacing them. It's, it's getting, you know, it's making it so people in the federal government do not have to um, consider climate change when they make a decision about, you know, whether to grant a permit or, you know, whether when they're reviewing a mine application or whatever it is, right? I mean, they actually are consciously making it so there are not things replacing what they're getting rid of. Um, and so it, it, that, to them, is progress. And then, obviously, a lot of people um, on the left who supported Obama or members of the progressive movement, you know, that's, a, that's just a completely different, different way of thinking. Um, and then moving forward, yeah, with tax reform, 
it's it's kind of the same it's kind of the same mentality right in that we want to cut taxes we want to get rid of loopholes we want to get rid of regulations we want to get rid of uh we want to get rid of things so we can have a you know pro growth economy by shrinking the tax code is kind of the argument um but the challenge they're going to run into is if you are doing tax reform as opposed to just tax cuts which in theory, everybody loves, at least on the right, um, tax reform, you are actually going to take something away from this industry by getting rid of that loophole so you can pay for the tax cut for this company or for this industry or for this individual. So they have a whole new political fight brewing um, when it comes to that. So I know that was that was all over the place, but did that answer your question? Yeah, that was good. But, um, okay, so Dobre Utrum, comrade, let's talk Russia. So what, <laughs> what does your gut and your reporting you know, tell you about the Russia story? Is there likely something there, or is this, you know, the, the, the deal where the expendable lower-level people maybe did something wrong, but it's not going to be a, a, a fatal threat to uh, the Trump administration? The the reporting, you know, I think it's really important to not, especially I think for people who who might be opposed to the might be opposed to the president's agenda. I think it's really important um, to kind of do I, I think what you were just kind of getting at and talk about, you know, what do we actually know and what are the facts here? And basically, the facts are that every week you have a kind of march of people coming forward and saying, you know, either we're investigating this or um, as Adam Schiff, who's the head Democrat, obviously partisan in this case, but the head Democrat in the House looking into this, saying there's there's more than enough evidence here to, to suggest that there was may have been collusion, there may have been something going on. So the needle keeps ticking more and more toward there being something there. With that said, ultimately, in the case of Trump, it's all still smoke and not fire, at least in something that you're going to be able to prove in a court or, you know, prove definitively in a news story and, and something like that. Um, but I I really don't think that it's a story, um, as you alluded to, that's going to go away, and I think it's only going to continue to develop. And I think I think everybody, you know, there's something recently that Comey, uh, the FBI director, his approval rating is extremely low and people are extremely unhappy with him. Um, I, I think that everyone has to wait and see a little bit with that agency and how they work and how they operate. And there's a lot of people who are frustrated that he appeared in front of the House and basically said over and over and over, I can't talk about that, I can't comment on that. Mm -hmm. That's, I think, in many ways, actually what you want to see if you expect that someone's doing a thorough investigation. And I think the reality is that based on kind of the collapse and breakdown of the House Intelligence Committee just today, actually, um, kind of suggests that Perhaps the Senate, but really the FBI, is going to be the place where you are going to find conclusive or concrete findings one way or the other on this. So I think really everybody um, on the left and right should be kind of rooting for them to do their jobs in a way that is free of you know bias or influence. That's a good point. I don't know if you watched Bill Maher, but on uh, last Friday they had a, a professor and writer, historian, Timothy Schneider, and, and he was making the point that, um, you know, now is the time when the institute, for people who are worried about, you know, the Trump administration 
you know, heading in an authoritarian direction and, and trampling down law and stuff. Uh, he was saying, look, now is the time when the institutions are very important. And he made the point of it's not that the institutions are there to save, you know, are, need to save you, it's us. It's that we need to save and protect the institutions. Um, in this case, I'm, I'm yeah. saying, you know, the, the really the bureaucracy of, of doing its actual work, which kind of brings me around to something where, you know, we saw this with the early executive orders, and we'll see about their executive orders today. Uh, we saw it with the healthcare debacle um, that uh, Trump and, and the top folks in the White House weren't doing the just the necessary calling up the agencies, getting the information, doing the research. Republicans complained that Trump, when he was there urging them to uh, vote for the health care bill, um, didn't even know understand the bill. You know, he was just kind of shouting slogans at them. And what I'm really getting at here is, uh, you know, every president as they go through, you know, controversial times, tense times and such, um, they all have aides around them and people who know the system who at least can say, Mr. President, I know you want to do X, Y, Z, but the law forbids this. Do you think he at least has that or do you think that he could get into deep trouble again, maybe not because he actually did something with Russia, but because somewhere along the line he aids a cover-up because that's just what he would do as a businessman or, or something like that. Do you think that kind of lack of the institutional, uh, I don't want to say memory, but the expertise around him could down the line trip him up? And, I'm at, yeah, I'm asking you for a hypothetical, I guess. Yeah, no, no, but that's a, that's a great point to bring up, actually. <laughs> Um, I mean, so you you referenced Bill Maher. I don't know if you saw this Daily Show segment, but but Trevor Noah, and obviously he's making light of this, but uh, Janine Pirro, the the woman on Fox News who Trump told everybody to watch yeah. on Saturday when she said, you know, Paul Ryan, you need to go. Um, she also said something which was rather extraordinary, I think, to a lot of people, where she said, well, you know, you can't blame this president for not knowing how to get health care reform through because you know, he was a businessman. He doesn't know Washington. Um, you know, this is from someone who really supports him, right? That's right. a really revealing statement. Um, and I think what you're saying is, and this is fair, this is like if you get pulled over for speeding and you tell the officer, well, I didn't know I was speeding, you'll go ignorance of the law doesn't matter. I mean, Comey will tell Trump the same thing if he tries to cover up something related to Russia, right? Of course, mm -hmm. that analogy isn't perfect because we're talking you know, world geopolitical, um, kind of the whole ball game here. Right. But th that really is a, I think that's actually an important example. And there's going to be a lot of people, uh, a lot of conservatives who would, you know, dismiss that and say, oh, the president wouldn't do that, or this is just the left trying to, you know, go after him or, or say he's an idiot or he doesn't know what he's doing. But, I mean, he doesn't. And the bottom line is, if you're not someone who has years and decades of experience in Washington and knowing all the ins and outs, of course you can't just walk in and know everything. And then right. if you put people around you who also do not know those mechanisms, then of course you are just objectively increasing the chances you could make a mistake, that you could do something wrong. To your point, even if maybe he wasn't trying to, and, and that could be an incredible turn of events here in six months or a year, four years, or maybe next month, Something comes out related to Russia, and it's more of a Watergate type of thing where something is being covered up as opposed to the president himself actually did something wrong. Ooh, on that note, let's take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll finalize and uh, 
uh, make some of our final thoughts on our discussion with Will Draybold of Mike and uh, his contributions to navigating Trump's America. So you don't want to miss some final words and thoughts from Will. Don't go away. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us here on this Tuesday. It looks like it's uh, nice and sunny out here in San Francisco as well as D.C. Our special guest on the phone calling from D.C. is Will Drabold of Mike.com, and he contributes to the Navigating Trump's America series that's there uh, on Mike. And I'm it's very helpful, all the articles, and it feels like I'm understanding what's happening to our country, but at the same time, uh, it's so <laughs> difficult to, like, accept what is happening. And so, you know, to, to, to continue our discussion of what you said, Will, before we went on break, is that we've got a president who simply just doesn't know what he's doing. Um. For us regular folks out here uh, in this country, it's that sounds like w- w- we we have no idea what direction uh, the country is going. Some may argue that you know the immigration stuff is great. He's making um, progress on the promises of his campaign as far as immigration reform goes, and there's a lot of us who see that as racist as as wrong that he's tearing families apart he's disrupting you know backbones uh, as far as the economy goes and and the immigrant community who's given so much to this country uh, yeah where do we go from here if we have a president who doesn't know what he's doing I, I, <laughs> how do you guys answer that if you're you know you've got this great resource on mike.com that uh, uh, you know we're supposed to look to as far as uh, navigating Donald Trump. Yes, 
It's a it's a good question. Um, I think that in some ways the job is on a daily basis. Just here's a ton of stuff that happened, and to your point, it's almost like okay, we need to keep up with this, and we need to help people just have one place they can go. Um, I mean, that was the original idea behind this. Shortly after his election, was we need a newsletter, we need you know these articles, and we need all of this. So people can feel like they can get a good sense of what's happening in one place, um, especially for a younger audience as well, um, given who Mike targets. Um, But then you're right. There's also, um, you know, I think I have a responsibility, as do other reporters at Mike, and just more broadly, to try to step back as often as possible and say, wow, you know, there's major shifts going on. Um, And so, you know, what, what I sent out this morning was very much um, focused on just kind of a TikTok and the latest Russia thing, because incredibly in one day, there's like six developments on different fronts um, related at some level to the Russia story. Um, But then in the past, you know, I've also tried to do, you know, this is how Trump is changing the U.S. in terms of kind of its geopolitical role in the world. And this is how the Republicans are... um, kind of changing norms in the Senate when it comes to investigating these kinds of things. And, you know, again, as, as journalists and reporters, I think this, this, there's, it's, this has borne itself out um, really well after this election. It's, it's definitely not our role to tell people what they need to be doing or to be advocating for anything, but to, I think, aggressively as possible, be providing this information um, and especially saying when it's the case, when something is different and when it's new. Um, and then I think it's the role of, uh, you know, people who are, you know, kind of have a feel like a fire has been lit under them, either on the left or the right by this election, to decide what they're going to do with that. Um, and so we just have to do a really good job of getting them the right information, not alternative facts, <laughs> getting them getting them the truth and then letting them run with it now more than ever. And I think that's really important. I mean, and I do recommend people go to Mike.com. Uh, and and read your columns because it's not just good inside stuff. It's it's reported stuff. It's it's you know they can have more trust on it than something that just pops up on their Facebook feed. Um, I've got a question. So here in California, of course, we we had a, a an entertainer and businessman, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who became governor, and he started out pushing a very aggressive conservative agenda. But when that ran into, you know, the rocks and, and uh, he got a bunch of stuff voted down and he shifted and took a more centrist tone and particularly became and remains a big advocate of fighting climate change. Um, what do you think of the prospects are that Trump could do that? I mean, you know, he would have to jettison Steve Bannon and replace some of his cabinet members. But, you know, could he readjust and say, well, look, I don't want to be a failed president. I want to be popular. And to heck with this. This wasn't working. I mean, is he the type of person who might do something like that? Yeah, it's an interesting analogy. Um, my personal observation is is no, not to any degree. And the reason I say that is because for you know almost two years, everybody kept saying, "Well, he's going to pivot," or yeah. "This is the pivot. This right. is the change." You never, ever, ever saw it. And just the latest quote that I think from the latest quote from the president that I think suggests, um, you know, what what you were saying might not happen. Um, would be in this latest interview he did with Time at the end of it, where he said, well, I'm the president, you're not, basically yeah. hung up, kind of in you know, <laughs> response to a question about how he deals with facts, falsehoods, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, 
that doesn't show a guy who wants to change, who's, who's interested in that at all. It shows someone who knows he won, and, you know, he said that, right? I won. That's, that's the end of the story. Yeah. Um, and, and I think I would be surprised if, say, in 2020, if he's running for re-election, I would be surprised if any of the narrative is different. I really expect it to be pretty much the same, and it'll either go down in flames or it'll win a second term. But I would just be shocked if it was markedly different than what we saw, you know, going up to the election in 2016 and what we've seen since then. So uh, switching topics a little bit, what do you think Judge Neil Gorsuch's chances are of becoming a Supreme Court justice? I think that increasingly um, the Republicans well, – well, let me back up. So obviously um, in Washington every day there's a little bit of a back and forth between the Democrats and the Republicans in messaging. And this is difficult. Frankly, most people shouldn't – they don't need to follow this. But what the Republicans have been doing, specifically Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, day after day after day they've been pinging the idea that – you know, a filibuster is not warranted um, for a Supreme Court justice. Gorsuch is qualified. Uh, this this whole 60-vote threshold is outrageous. They're raising the temperature on that. And the reason, you know, I think we can all assume they're doing that is because when it comes time, if they cannot get to 60 votes, they'll say, well, we have to go nuclear because they blockaded this guy and it was ridiculous. No, it was all political and there was no reason for that. And mm-hmm. You know, for those listening who aren't familiar, the nuclear option is basically confirming uh, Gorsuch with only 50 votes, um, which has never been used for this. The Democrats, uh, to be fair, did use this for lower judicial appointments when the Republicans were blocking Obama's nominees in 2013. Um, but McConnell really doesn't want to have to do that mm-hmm. um, and go down in history as the guy who changed that in the Senate for Supreme Court nom- nominees. But we'll see. I mean, there's like 20 Democrats now who are openly opposed to him. Right. Uh, the Republicans only need eight. But we'll see if they can get that. Will, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your, your I guess it's it's afternoon for you now, <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. and uh, helping us navigate Trump's America here on the Michelle Miao Show uh, this Tuesday. So thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And like John said, you definitely should check out his call. That was mine. You sh- you definitely should check out his column at Mike.com, and uh, it's there right at the front page. You can't miss it. We all need to be navigating Trump's America, what- whatever party you're affiliated with. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion with Cynthia Lopez, who is the president of the Queer Bar Association in El Paso. She's also an immigrations attorney. So we'll talk to her about what it's like to be undocumented and also LGBTQI in El Paso. So don't go away. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. 
Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.alegrecare.com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us here on this Tuesday. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us and uh, joining me as my co-host. John, thanks again for being here. Glad to be here. Thank you. I, uh, You're the only person I would navigate Trump's America with, so thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all in this together. Yeah, you're right. Um, so th- we were talking to Will Draybold, who is, uh, who's with Mike.com. And he contributes to a column that they do, Navigating Trump's America. We think it's a, a pretty good column for you to check out. And they cover everything from Russia to the Health Care Act to um, whatever, whoever, all of us who are being attacked. And so speaking of communities who are being attacked, um, like I said before the break, we are going to continue our discussion by navigating through Trump's America as it applies to the immigrant community. Uh, on the phone with us from El Paso is our special guest, Cynthia Lopez, who is the president of the Queer Bar Association in El Paso, and she's also an immigration attorney. Cynthia, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Oh, thank you so much for, for having me and for inviting me. I know that you were just in court, and I can only imagine how busy uh, all of you are, uh, immigration attorneys, uh, especially out in Texas, um, California. I mean, everywhere it's busy, right? It's pretty, um, yeah, we're all we're all really busy, and they're keeping us even busier, and they're saying that it's going to get crazier and crazier, so we're expecting it to get, get pretty crazy. Um, I have a question. So are, are you seeing LGBTQ immigrants as, as, are they facing more of a threat of being deported than straight uh, immigrants? You know, in other words, are they being particularly targeted, or are they just being caught up in this and also probably with fewer you know family resources to help them yeah well i i wouldn't say that i would I, that i see lgbt being targeted more so what we are seeing is um 
it, it feels like they're just going after everybody. And because they're getting so overwhelmed and there's so many people that they're detaining um, and the entire system is just you can start to feel it just becoming overwhelmed. Um, I mean, there's so many people detained, um, so many cases that they're having to process. And I think what's happening is LGBT, um, in particular transgender, are just kind of starting to get lost in the mix, kind of where they're not um, getting some of the protections that they should be getting, like uh, detaining them with general population or, you know, um, female transgender detained in the male population um, when they shouldn't be. And... And having to go through the process of fighting that is becoming very difficult because it's just all, everything's so busy right now. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, I don't think we're necessarily seeing specific targets because I think they're just going after everybody. Now, we know, of course, what the executive orders have been coming out of Washington and, and uh, we've been watching, you know, the, the ICE raids around the country. What are you, you know, you having just come out of court, what are the judges like? Are, are you noticing any difference in, in their rulings or their questions or their attitudes than before uh, this administration? Um, it's always been pretty difficult here in El Paso. I think we have, I don't want to say some of the worst judges, but I think they're definitely government biased. Um, but we are seeing a little bit more of that, like, I really don't care, uh, you know, give them a removal order type attitude. Um but it's always been a little bit difficult here in El Paso. But I, I think there's definitely a little bit more of a government bias, even more so than there already was before. And also the government attorneys, I think, are a little bit, uh, they're, they're caring a little bit less. It's almost like dehumanizing mm. a little bit more. Um, Cynthia, let's talk about undocumented LGBTQ people in, in a, a very specific uh, topic as it applies to it, and that is asylum. I mean, many LGBTQ people who are here are trying to obtain asylum from countries that... Um, have really harsh, you know, conditions for LGBTQ people. How is that being factored into this very discriminating executive order that uh, impacts everyone? Well, I think what we're what we're seeing is is a difference between um, jurisdictions. Um, I feel like uh, for us, one of the first things that we try and do is try and get somebody out on bond. Um, I had recently, um, it was an asylum case, and we were trying to get him out on bond, and they denied bond, and it was a, a sexuality-based asylum claim, um, and they denied bond because the judge didn't think that it was going to be a valid asylum claim, which did, didn't make any sense. If we had that case in California, it would have been, you know, no doubt that they would have gotten bond. But um, our judges here are just really difficult, um, and so normally that should be um, a valid asylum claim, and... But, but there is a big difference where you're bringing the claim in the country. Um, Texas is very difficult. Our circuit is very difficult. Um, the Ninth Circuit is a lot easier. Um, places that I think are a little bit more progressive, the judges aren't requiring as much because they know that it is a valid asylum claim. So I think that comes into play a lot with, with those asylum cases. Now, we're actually talking to you from San Francisco, where we are, and, and uh, that's a sanctuary city, and, and uh, apparently... Uh, sanctuary cities have been targeted specifically in in these uh, you know increased raids. El Paso, my understanding of Texas outside of Austin is that it's pretty conservative from what, from what you've just said. It sounds like it. In some of the sanctuary cities, the cities are actually helping provide uh, you know legal help to undocumented immigrants who are going through some trouble like this. Um, is there who's supporting you in El Paso? I mean. What, what's the uh, political and, and economic environment like for folks like you? 
Well, actually, um, I think we're actually kind of blessed in El Paso. El Paso is very different from the rest of Texas. Um, it is pretty, pretty liberal. It's pretty progressive. Um, you know, my girlfriend and I feel okay going out in public and stuff like that. Like, it's not as bad as the rest of Texas, I think. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's funny because I just went to an event yesterday where um, an, uh, a candidate for mayor was, was speaking and he was, and I asked him about sanctuary cities and how he thinks about El Paso being a sanctuary city. And and he was on point. He said, you know, um, they shouldn't be enforcing federal law. Our local officials shouldn't be enforcing federal law. But I don't think we'll lose any funding for being a, well, we won't be labeled a sanctuary city. And it's like, well, you kind of are a sanctuary city if that's, that's your stance. But I think for the most part, here in El Paso, we have um, a, a representative, Beth Dolrock, and he's doing great things, trying to bring attention to the fact that El Paso is a pretty safe city, is pretty liberal, um, and it actually is kind of, in some ways, a sanctuary city. So, so we've been pretty lucky with being, um, you know, the Queer Bar Association. We're trying to go out and do things. We have a citizen, citizenship fair coming up in April, um, and we try to have events like that where we can kind of get the word out and try and help people as much as we can. But we, we do get a pretty good amount of support. Um, so so when I say it's a little bit harder here, I think it's more actual immigration, the judges, yeah. um, and the system more so than, than the actual community. The, act, the community is, is actually, I think, pretty progressive and pretty supportive. And when you're dealing with the, the judges, you're, you're talking about judges who are within the immigration system, right? These are not yet uh, you know, civil judges in, in the, the normal judicial system, am I correct? Yes, yes. Um, they are different types of judges than, yeah. than criminal or civil or anything like that. They're actually um, in place through different um, through a different system. They're actually called Article Three judges. Uh, Cynthia, I, I want to a couple more questions before we let you go. Um, you know, the president had promised during his campaign that he was going to get rid of those who had com- committed crimes, such as. You know, some stuff that we thought were were serious, such as being involved in a gang or, you know, something like that. But we're finding a lot of these stories that are coming out. It's everyday people who are being affected. Um, That's the experience that you're getting. And if you could talk a little bit about, the you know, the reality of who is affected. And it's not necessarily like I I don't even understand the criteria anymore. And as you had mentioned earlier, it just sounds like it's it's all (laughs) becoming. (laughs) Yeah, it's just unjust. It's 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 not fair. It's discriminating. It's racist. This is true. Yes. Yes. Um, Well, a couple of things. Um, I guess the people that were getting what we noticed right off the bat was a lot of people calling that already have legal status. So there's different levels. Um, I've always, and throughout my career, tried to, tried to fight these different um, misconceptions that are out there about immigration. There's so many. But there's different levels of, of legal status, and I think people don't understand that. Um, so uh, what we were getting was a lot of residents calling because they wanted to become citizens. So they've already gone through the process, they're residents, but then they want to get full-blown citizenship. So even residents, I think, were the ones who were the first ones coming in trying to get their full citizenship because they were afraid of, about what was going to happen. But what we're seeing now is basically people getting picked up for minor infractions. So even just a year ago, if I had a client come in who had been in the country for more than 10 years, um, would qualify for some sort of relief with a judge, I could call immigration and tell them, hey, um, I have this client. We want to take him before a judge because we want to get this relief. We want to get his residency. And immigration would tell us, no, you know, they're not a priority. Um, 
now they'll pick them up and they'll put them in proceedings. So basically, I mean, it's good because it's forcing people to actually take care of their immigration status. But the problem is that we just don't have the systems in place in order to deal with that amount of people because they were just closing those cases or not even picking those people up. And now they are. So people who have been here their whole lives would otherwise qualify for relief. I mean, they're being detained, and that takes months. Um, and that's not even getting into asylum cases. I mean, that's a whole other beast. Those are people who are fleeing for their lives who also, when they come in, they're being detained, and they're detained for months before they can even present an asylum case. So, um, so yeah, we're seeing it affect people who, as of a year ago, wouldn't even have a concern. And even people who have DACA, the Dreamer kids who have been there here since they were little, um, they're picking them up, too. And that DACA was basically supposed to be an agreement with the government, like, hey, this is... This is me. I'll go through background checks. I'll pay taxes. You know, I'm going to work. Um, and in, in exchange for that, you're not going to try and deport me. That was basically what the agreement was supposed to be. And so now we don't even know what's going to be happening with those cases. You story, you, I'm sure you saw the story about the Indiana woman who voted for Trump and, and how her undocumented immigrant husband is being deported. Um, mm-hmm. Do you see anywhere around you, you know, folks who maybe had done the same thing, voted for Trump and are now regretting that because of the immigration issue? <laughs> no, I think it's kind of rare for people to admit it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I really don't, um, I mean, that's what he said he was going to do. So yeah. I, I don't feel a lot of sympathy for her because that's what he said he was going to do. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, a lot of people don't really admit it. Actually, for the most part, most of our clients um, beforehand were really afraid a lot of them were trying to get their citizenship to vote to vote against him, um, and a lot of citizenship applications didn't come in in time. Uh, and even now, people are—I have, yeah, our clients really don't have a lot of sentiment or uh, you know any sort of affiliation with him. But sure. uh, I was surprised she admitted it. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. can you give people some idea of what should people do who are maybe do it separately? You know, people who are who are here legally but not yet citizens, and then I assume there are some different things that people who are undocumented that they might take to either protect themselves or be prepared or whatever. Yeah, so people who are residents, um, I definitely recommend getting your citizenship. Um, I recommend it to all my clients. Uh, Generally, it's five years. If it's through a spouse, it's three years that you have to wait of residency. so I recommend doing it uh, and seeing an attorney. Uh, it's possible to do on your own. Um, the application is a little bit lengthy, but it's possible to do on your own. So I definitely recommend that. For people that are here completely legally, um, I think it's definitely good to get in to see an attorney, see if there's anything that can be done. Um, if you have been here for more than 10 years and you have relatives that are citizens or, or residents, meaning like children or, or spouses, um, you usually can, can ask for some sort of relief. So don't just presume when they detain you. Well, they're pressuring. A lot of ICE officers are pressuring people to sign deportations. And they're telling them there's nothing you can do. We're going to put you in jail. Um, you know, you don't need an attorney. They can't do anything for you. Um, so don't necessarily take that at face value. Um, you know, if you want to fight for your case, do it and ask to go see a judge and don't sign anything. Um, you know, and then the traditional stuff that, that everybody's putting out there, if they come to your door, you know, they should have a warrant they really shouldn't be going into your home unless they have a warrant for your arrest, which is generally only with some sort of criminal issues. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, talk to an attorney. That's 
the best advice that I can give people right now, especially if you have been here for a long time and you have family, you may be entitled to some sort of relief. Cynthia, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to speak with us today. And uh, also thanks for, for all you do and every everyone who's coming together to do what you do. So thank you. No, thank you guys. Thank you for, um, it's so important to get out the information right now um, and get out good information because there's a lot of, and the more that this is happening, the more that there's going to be fraudsters out there. So people got to be really careful. So thank you so much for having me. Don't go away. When we come back, John and I uh, wrap up with final thoughts. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Tuesday. March is uh, near the end. And so that would kind of mean officially uh, almost, well, I guess it's been a little over two and a half months since Donald Trump has taken over the White House. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with me. And John, what are some of your final thoughts from today's discussion? Um. I actually enjoyed talking to both of these folks. They were they were both very knowledgeable, and, and uh, I think whether you're following stuff just for the political uh, angle on things to know what's really going on, or if you specifically got you know immigration questions and things, both of them really kind of showed through the the importance of uh, hearing from people who really know what they're talking about. You know, in politics, we've been talking a lot about uh, fake news and and these people who are in Macedonia, you know, college kids paid by Russia to do fake news on in U.S. social media and such. But um, uh, Cynthia made a really good point about if you're, you know, looking for legal help or if you're just trying to figure out what's really going on, what are your dangers, there are a lot of people out there who are specifically going to give you wrong information. And so, you know, 
definitely find a reputable, you know, immigration lawyer uh, through a you know community organization if you can't afford it. There, there, there's help as well uh, because you really want to know what really is the is the threat you're facing. Also, you know, it. Uh, I've learned a lot from both, but I also don't feel alone. I also feel like everyone, to some degree is feeling something or doing something or is affected by it in some way. Um, that could be because your job is a journalist or your job is an attorney, your job is a doctor. All of it matters right now. And I know that lots of people have been trying to pull from that and say, hey, that's a positive thing, even if you can't figure or feel it right now or come to that realization. It is a good thing. Um, at the same time, it, it takes all of us to do something. It does, and there are lots of opportunities right now. Um, so I would, you know, and we've said this a number of times, find the folks you can connect with. It might well be through an LGBT center. It might be through an immigration center. It might be through a local chapter of Indivisible, which is uh, the activist group you've seen behind a lot of these uh, GOP town halls that have given them headaches. Here's um, you know, something to follow up on those final thoughts. And I, I posted this the other day because I, I, I really wanted to know for any historian there is out there or a political junkie and kind of glazing over our history, you know, obviously nothing like this has ever happened. I mean, people are saying like scholars, like really smart, intelligent people who know our history are saying he's got to be the worst president ever or at least the you know has the worst start has well, the poorest ratings you, you could even argue that the american people are saying that too the latest <laughs> you don't the have latest to be smart poll to say has that. them down to 36 percent. yikes um so my question was you mean what yeah how does america right we hear all the time other countries out there they go through a military coup or you know some political upheaval uh, we kind of understand those types of, of governments that are not uh, part of the democracy. Things like that can happen. But what happens to America, this great nation that uh, generally has control or people have referred to as leaders of the free world? What, would, what, what needs to happen from a civil level now that there is so much chaos and, and divisive communities. Yeah, quite a few folks would argue that the leader of the free world now is Angela Merkel, the chancellor of Germany, and I'm saying that seriously. Right. You know, she explicitly is standing up for, um, you know, broadly speaking, li liberal Western values of tolerance and, and democracy and, and criticism and, and uh, you know, patience in dealing with other people. Um, this country probably is not going to ever be what it was. I mean, we even with all the the upsets and turmoil that happened in in my life, and I'm almost fifty, uh, and and you know in your life you've seen 9/11, you've you've seen you know some tumultuous things as well. But um, really, since World War II, the United States has been in a very special area. You know, we ran the world. We were filthy rich by world standards, and we being, you know, nationally speaking. Obviously, we've had lots of folks who have not partaken of that. Um, and uh, we had, for the first few decades of that, pretty stable uh, political scene as well. You know, Democrats and Republicans, I don't know if I've said it on this story, but my father, back in the early 60s, was asked to run for Congress by one of the political parties in southern Wisconsin. And he said no. He was a minister, actually, at the time. He couldn't afford to, you know, leave his job and run. But uh, when he was telling me this li years later in the 70s or 80s, he's like, I couldn't, he couldn't even remember which party it was. 
because right there there wasn't a huge gap. Uh, certainly, if if he was asked today to run for a party, well, it'd be weird because he's dead. But if he were asked, <laughs> you know, you would know the difference of the parties. Well, going back before World War II, there were huge differences in the 30s and 20s and teens and et cetera. Um, I think you know what we might see is what we see in some countries where they've had you know populist takeovers like we have here. Uh, then there's a big swing back, and then the populism comes back. It, we have to deal with whatever it is that's uh, pushing people to want to vote for some some movement like this. You can't uh, unless you're simply going to say it's always going to be a matter of fighting, 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 and uh, there's no way out of it. Right, and I think that like what I was also referring to is. Um, you know, it's just not it's not enough to impeach the president if that ha actually happens. Um, and there are some cases, legal cases, that that it's realistic that this president could be impeached because once impeaching him, which I'm surprised by how quiet our vice president is, but usually vice presidents are really quiet, right? Right. Um, then it's Mike Pence. We don't want Mike Pence either. And <laughs> we don't want the entire administration. But somebody made a point in that his entire picks and his aides and the administration may be in bed with, you know, Russia as well to the point where the entire, uh, the entire regime, if you will, or the, the whole crew could become criminals. I, I think, um, that when you look at the cabinet, I mean, you really do kind of have to separate out, I guess, some of them who actually know what they're doing. You know, there are some of them who are almost comical in their, uh, inappropriateness for their position. Uh, General Mattis at uh, General Mattis, comma, retired uh, as the Secretary of Defense, um, has no illusions about Russia. He's very pro-NATO and stuff like that. It, and he apparently is upsetting uh, some uh, Republicans because he's, you know, appointing or keeping on some Obama era, um, era excuse me, uh, officials. Whereas, you know, other folks have been kind of going in and sweeping all the Obama folks out. Um, that doesn't mean, on the other hand, we want everyone to be indicted until it gets down to Mattis and then Mattis becomes president. And I don't think we're going to see that, but it's going to keep us all alive and watching Mike.com. Stay alive, read Mike.com, <laughs> and tune in to the Michelle Miao Show Monday through Friday, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time right here on Progressive Voices. And listen to John Zipper on Fridays, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time for his week-to-week -week roundtable political talk. Until next time, my friends, we'll see you then. Many nonprofits rely on events to raise money, create space for community gathering, and offer opportunities to network. But how many hours in a day do community leaders have when they're busy changing the world? Imagine your next event, gala, festival, or celebration professionally executed with creative ideas and ideals to match your community service. IDK is the community's trusted event production company. Visit idkevents.com for all your event production needs. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. 
Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community.